When it comes to maximizing time in the uplands, without fail, Onyx Hunt is my most valuable tool. From planning my next hunt through a new bird cover to navigating in the field, Onyx Hunt is truly with me wherever I go. With detailed mapping and satellite imagery, along with a multitude of map layers from land access to forestry and habitat information and easy-to-use tools to mark, measure, and catalog important information, Onyx Hunt seamlessly integrates digital scouting with boots-on-the-ground time in the field. With offline mapping and Apple CarPlay integration, you are free to explore the wild landscapes our beloved upland birds inhabit. Planning your next move in the uplands begins with knowing where you stand, and for me, that starts and stops with Onyx Hunt. Download the Onyx Hunt app today and use the promo code BSP20 to save 20% on your Onyx Hunt subscription. When the miles rack up faster than your flush count, that's when you'll truly appreciate your hunting vest from Final Rise. Built for the uplands and proudly sewn in the USA, the complete lineup of hunting vests from Final Rise, from their all-new Summit XT down to the minimalist Sidekick system, are all built upon the foundational load-bearing waist belt and low-profile shoulder strap system, which allow you to carry all the gear you need and do so comfortably while maintaining your ability to move freely and perform when you need to most. With a complete lineup of accessories and newly released performance field apparel, Final Rise has the gear you need to help you get the most out of every mile and every flush. Final Rise gear is built for the uplands. Get yours today at FinalRise.com. Episode of the Birdshot Podcast is presented by Onyx Hunt, Final Rise, and Upland Gun Company. On this episode of the show, we catch up with Justin McGrail and dive into part one of our QA session. Thanks for tuning in to episode number 199. All right, welcome back to another episode of the Birdshot Podcast, everybody. Thank you for tuning in. We've got the long-awaited and eagerly anticipated Q&A session, part one, with Justin McGrail today. We're going to get to that in just a moment. But first, of course, thank you to Patreon patrons of the Birdshot Podcast. Your continued support is greatly appreciated. All those patrons out there are getting those Birdshot Podcast can coolers and stickers, access to bonus content, and exclusive discounts like the ones we have for Gumleaf USA and Upland Institute video series co-produced by today's guest, Justin McGrail. You can sign up at patreon.com forward slash birdshot. Thanks for considering that. And as a reminder to all listeners, if you could take just a moment to subscribe to the podcast, leave a rating or a review in the podcast app wherever you listen. Those are also helpful contributions to the Birdshot podcast. All right, my hunting season came to a screeching halt this week as... We were hit by some weather last week and into this week. Looking out my window today, I see a lot of white. A whole lot more white, fluffy, powdery snow than I saw just over a week ago. Last Tuesday, I was in the woods on what could only be described as a perfect November day in the rough grouse woods. It was overcast with glints of sunshine here and there. 40 degrees, a slight breeze. The dogs and I had a great day in the woods, and it was about as... Nice of a day as you could ask for in November. 
Then we had some rain come through, which I probably talked about on last week's episode. And then the temps dropped. Last weekend wasn't too bad, but it was cold. And we got hammered with snow this week. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. It still wants the snow. It just keeps coming down. Not in excessive quantities, but it's been a continual light snow for the past few days. And we're covered up at the moment. So all that to say, dogs and I caught up on some rest and some work this week. And we will see what next week has in store for us post-Minnesota deer season and some slightly warmer temps on the way for the holiday week next week. We'll see. So we got part one of our Q&A session with Justin McGrail today. First part of the interview, we're catching up with Justin, talking to him a little bit about his season and his dogs. Then we jump into the questions. We get through a handful or so, and then I stop this episode short. Ultimately had a long conversation with Justin, and with the holiday week coming up next week, I'm going to split this into two parts. We'll do part one this Friday. And we'll finish up with pure question and answer on part two next Friday. So stay tuned for that. Thank you to everybody that submitted questions and helped make the show a reality. If you've heard Justin's Q&A sessions before on the Hunting Dog Podcast, you will know what to expect on this show. He did not disappoint. We had some great questions and some great responses and intel coming from Justin on a wide variety of topics. So before we get into that, I'm just going to mention that Ron Bame and Justin McGrail, co-producers of the Upland Institute video series, partner on the Birdshot podcast, have graciously offered up not only their time and coordination on putting this episode together, but they also are making available a free one-time code for one lucky winner to get the complete Upland Institute video training series. So we've got that code. I am going to Make that available for the next monthly Patreon giveaway. So anybody that signs up before the end of November would be eligible for that monthly giveaway. And I'm going to throw into the hat, so to speak, everybody that submitted a question for this episode and, again, helped make this episode what it is. So thanks again to everybody that submitted questions. You will be entered in the drawing for the free code for the complete Upland Institute video training series along with all patrons of the Birdshot podcast, the winner of this month's giveaway will have their choice of that code or an Onyx Elite subscription card. So we will determine that in early December. But for now, since you won't hear from me until next Friday, I do want to take a moment right now to wish everybody out there listening, all of you and your families, a very, very happy and thankful Thanksgiving coming up next week. I hope you've got some holiday plans. That involves good family, good friends, good food, and some bird hunting. Still a pretty good time to be out there up on bird hunting. I intend to do some of that next week myself, and I hope all of you are as well if you're able. But nonetheless, have a happy and wonderful Thanksgiving, and we'll be back with part two of our conversation with Justin McGrail next Friday. But for now, let's jump into part one, catch up with Justin, and start answering some listener questions. Let's welcome into the conversation and on to the Birdshot Podcast, Justin McGrail. I am honored today to welcome back to the Birdshot Podcast, Justin McGrail. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing great. You? I am doing well. Also, as I just mentioned to you, I'm staring out the window at a bunch of snow, which I could do without, but... Uh, living where I live, I guess I've, I've got to be prepared. We've been pretty fortunate the last couple of years. I've talked about it a lot where we've had the snow has held off and the good grouse hunting conditions have 
lasted late into the year. Well, this year, I don't, I don't know what the future holds for grouse hunting at this point, but it was a damn good season up to this point. And now I'm taking a little break this week, which is not all bad. I'm getting some work done, Justin. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm doing the same. You know, we're shut down for our firearm deer season. That opened yesterday here. Yeah. And we got, we got our snow yesterday. Did you? Um, how long it's going to stick around i don't know it's settling uh we got there's a few warm days next week so we may sneak in in the lower peninsula places maybe an opportunity for early december we'll see we reopened december one and uh, we'll see what happens you know when i was younger and just starting to grouse hunt the december season was kind of a joke you know it's like yeah it reopens december one but you get your snowshoes out yeah and and lately, it's held off, and we're able to get, you know, a week or two in early December. But every year is different. That pesky Lake Michigan calls the shots with our snow. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, the the big lakes do some funny things with weather patterns and stuff. And even, you know, in the, and I've talked about it a little bit, like there's, there's areas around here that don't get the snow early, and they kind of hold it off. But then other areas get more lake effect snow, and so... I've I've kind of figured that out over the past five, ten years or so and kinda of will cherry pick a little bit as I can. But I, I will say that it's been it's pretty widespread full coverage snow at this point. We had, there was a lot of precipitation last week. We had like two straight days of rain in the forties and then the temp dropped and that precipitation it's just seemed like like precipitation hanging over the lake systems and just continuing to drop and I've, I've got my fill of shoveling and snow blowing already so <laughs> you know that that magic window in the grouse woods it it just comes and goes yes. too fast you know it's <laughs> thick it's hot it's warm and, and and then you hit that sweet spot and then here you know we fight a lot of october rains we we're very wet in october this year especially the first 15 days and then now we're getting to that sweet spot late October. I love it. Okay. And then next thing you know, poof, that's over. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I don't know if it's a little bit of recency effect bias on my, but this year in particular felt like it was a slow start to the season because it was hot and it was really thick. And I felt like the warm temps really hung on. I mean, shoot, I had a 70 degree day, like the third week in October, I mean, dealing with some heat. And then, like you said, you hit that, we hit that sweet spot window. I feel like I had maybe a week or two where I was hunting like bare woods in 40 degree temps. And then all of a sudden it's the opposite extreme. And now we're in the, you know, it's not that cold. It's in the twenties, you know, mid twenties or whatever, but there's, there's snow. It's just, it was a short prime time window. I feel like it is. And that's the nature of hunting grouse. And, and, you know, I tell you, it's a, I have really become a fan of that spring stuff, you know, yeah, yeah. minus the shotgun. It's just, you get rid of the people. You have that same open woods feel yep. and uh, you can get some really good dog training done that, which is just as enjoyable to me as carrying a gun. Yeah. Uh, and, and you can find some solitude then, which is getting more and more difficult here in Michigan during October. So you just, you know, Try and take advantage of every window that presents itself. That's the best you can do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess that if this really is the the end of primetime grouse hunting this year, I guess the the distant spring season will be a, a little consolation prize for us. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, I, I do want to, before we jump into listener questions and, and get into all that stuff, I'd love to hear 
a little bit of your season to to this point. Did you get out west and and chase some September prairie birds? I did. Um, right about last day in August, maybe I rolled into North Dakota. Okay. Spent I don't know nine ten. No, I know I was there on their opener, which I think was the tenth this year. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. So yeah, so I just trained for nine days and got to hunt with a couple friends on opening day in a very special place. And, uh, and of course that's when the hunters are all rolling in and I packed up and went over to Montana and finished my trip over there. Um, and then came back to Michigan and rolled right into the woods work. I had, I had to judge the, um, not had to, I got to judge the Michigan Woodcock championship. I'm glad when, this year and that was october when did we start that i don't know eighth ish something like that tenth something like that and uh, it's like 60 dogs this year it took us four and a half days to run it and uh, wow. you know some people say why would you give those days up in october well it's a little ahead of what i consider prime time for mm-hmm. shooting and hunting yep and look the reality is when else are you going to have an opportunity to watch 60 of the best wild bird dogs do their thing on grouse? It's a great learning opportunity. Yeah. You know, I've never come away from that and not learned multiple things. And it gives me a chance to see some old friends. So I got that done. And that's when I really started getting after it was after that. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's a, that's a good point. And as you, as you mentioned the, you know, we all kind of pin October on our calendars, but kind of related to some of that weather stuff we're talking about. I mean that you never know what early October is going to be like and that's that's not necessarily the the best hunting conditions, but it's as we also said that it's just such a fleeting period, you know, we look forward to it and you just never know when it's going to be <laughs> wiped away. So you got to take advantage, but hey, you were in the woods following bird dogs, so that's good. That's right. Yeah. What uh uh prairie birds just oh, always enjoyable. You get into sharp tails and huns, but you see anything of interest out there this year? Eating it kind of still solid. Yeah. Uh, both both venues were still solid. Uh, as always that year, you got a little heat to contend with yep. some days. Um, that's just part of the game doing that. But uh, yeah, I no complaints for me whatsoever. Um, and, and here, you know, I say we were decent for grouse. Yeah. Uh, you know, wasn't a banner year by any means, but I've certainly seen worse. Um, and, and the birds to me anyways, everybody's got a different report. Yeah. They seem pretty evenly dispersed. You know, they're, I did not hunt the same cover twice and I never found anywhere I go, Whoa, there's, there's a bunch of them here. Mm. Um, but I found some everywhere I went. Yeah. What, what about Woodcock, uh, that Woodcock challenge, good numbers of Woodcock. Cause I, I will just say, I, it was a spotty year for Woodcock for me over here. I just, Never really got into them thick. A few covers here and there that was like, yeah, there's some flight birds in here, but it, uh, I don't know. I didn't see a lot of woodcock this year. I thought that was kind of interesting. Same here. Yeah. Same exact deal. You know, they're around, you're finding them, mm-hmm. but not like we've grown accustomed to here in Michigan. You know, Michigan usually leads the woodcock harvest, and yep. that's simply because we hatch and raise a pile of local birds. Yeah, uh, it is not because we're in some major, you know, where you're hitting these big flights or anything. We just grow a lot of them here. Um, and this year, I would, I mean, it wasn't bad. Don't get me wrong, right. but compared to four years ago, five years ago, we don't have them like that. Yeah. 
always ups and downs in the in the with the flights you can you you kind of expect to have a few big spikes you know you're going to be out in the woods one day and they're going to be all over the place and for me i just well their stars didn't align and i don't i'm not necessarily putting myself into the cover where i think i'm going to get into a ton of woodcock i don't have a real young dog or anything like that so that's maybe part of it but i think i i was out enough to know that we were not necessarily covered up in woodcock which and kind of interesting just because it seemed like nesting conditions and and stuff for lots of other birds and bird populations did pretty well so i i don't know what other than maybe real dry i don't know i don't know the effects of woodcock there but interesting observation i guess yeah and i I feel the same here you know i had one place i stopped in just before a quiet season started that was just stuffed with them right and uh those birds are getting ready to jump on X pretty quick. In this part of the state, that time of year, these birds aren't continuing on anywhere. Yeah. And I uh, did a guy with a young dog a favor. I said, hey, he was going to be in the area. I said, go run your dog at that spot. I haven't yeah. been there. And uh, he didn't find any. And he hmm. moved a couple of grouse. But no, I mean, that, to me, that's not possible. And I thought, well, he went to the wrong place or that dog's a ding dong or something. <laughs> and, and I swung through there and yeah, I got dealt something very similar. Sure it's like, enough. what, what happened, yeah. you know? And, and even if it was poor nesting and chick rearing, which I did not see any weather to account for that. Mm-hmm. Um, where are the other, where are they? I, I know I'll never, we'll never understand it all, which is part of the allure. I correct. Think. Yep. Yep. Indeed. You are correct about that. Yep. Good deal. Well, yeah, we'll we'll both keep our fingers crossed that maybe we get a little bonus time after deer season's quiet down. I'm I'm sure I will hit the woods again. It's just what sort of expectations will I have, and at what uh, leg height will the snow depth be? That's that's the only <laughs> question remaining at this point. <laughs> you uh, are you gonna are you gonna go anywhere else? Uh, get out of the North Country and and do some other hunting. Yeah, I, you know, this is the time of year I start to get quail on the brain. I just, sure. I, I just can't kick it. Yeah. And I, I love wild quail. Um, so once I get through the holidays, probably January 1st ish, okay. uh, I'll, I'll get out of here for a little trip of undetermined length. Um, and who knows what venue I'll stay at the longest. We'll just let the birds and the, the weather dictate that. Yeah. But I just, I started doing that as a way to extend a dog's window of learning opportunities for wild birds. And, and then, and that is still the primary thrust, but the, what has doubled down on that is I got to take some bite out of a Michigan winter anymore. I go cuckoo. I go nuts. <laughs> I, I can't handle it. It's the, I mean, we we have clouds, you know, almost every day, that short daylight. Yep. It does get tough. I start going stir crazy. So, I, I got to do it for the dogs, but I also got to do it for me. Um, yeah. I get grumpy. <laughs> <laughs> and it was funny. I was, I was just, I was over in Michigan a couple weeks ago for only for a day. I had a real truncated trip due to logistics. And then we had a rain out on the back end. So I only was over there for a day, but just like changing the time zones and, and you've got the, you know, the sun's going down there earlier as I head East and just the, the time on the clock, it's, it doesn't seem like that stuff should affect you so much and then throw daylight savings in the mix. And now the sun's going down at four forty-five here. And like, I'm walking around like a zombie at like five o'clock and I, I can't figure it out, but yeah. 
It is. And, and then the fact that we go weeks and weeks and weeks and you won't see the sun. Yeah, that's you know? tough. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's just this gray gloom day after day. Yeah. One other question or two here before we jump into questions, but I was curious, dog-wise, how you, how you set up dog-wise right now? You got a whole pack of them or, or what's uh, what's been the primary focus for you this year? Any real young ones? Yeah. I'm always panning for gold, really. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, I, I'm never just right, but I'm close right now. Um, so I'm happy. <laughs> You know, I don't like having more dogs than I can do justice in right. the personal line up here. And, um, but I don't like to be short either because things can and do unexpectedly happen. I've lost seven, you know, this is a number of years ago, but I lost two seven-year-olds unexpectedly in one year. That leaves a hole in the yeah. lineup, a big hole. Um, so I always like to have young dogs coming up and, uh, I had a couple that weren't, they were nice enough dogs for sure. They just weren't making the team. And I found them wonderful homes, hunting homes. Everybody's happy. Dog's happy. The new owners are happy and I'm happy. And, uh, the youngsters, uh, right now, my youngest, I have a six month old, um, setter, little female setter tip. I call her and having a ton of fun with her. And, you know, that, that's a tough age. I'm hoping she'll get in some action. You know, she's been for lots of little puppy woods walks, yep. but no real bird contact, you know. Um, hoping to get her into some quail. But she's she's a nice little dog. And then I always have a role for one flusher on the team, for sure. Okay. Not every hunt is laid up right for a pointing dog. And they can be a deadly little tool. So I, I like those little cockers. And I realized last year that, I've been calling our cocker seven years old for three years and it's like, uh Oh, <laughs> she started to get that old dog look in her eyes. And I, I pulled her file and I'm like, Oh my gosh, this dog is 10. How did that happen? And, and so I wanted to get another one of those coming up to fill her shoes. And that dog is just a shade over a year right now. Okay. And, and she's, we, we shot some birds over that dog in the woods this year. She's a dandy little dog and related to our 10 year old. Yeah. And then, um, boy, the one I'm really going with just as much as I can pour into her is a dog that turns to this month. I can't remember the exact date okay. this month. Yeah. And, you know, so she was, uh, quite young last year, got her into some quail and I just, boy, she started coming on. I, I knew at seven months, this dog isn't going anywhere. Yeah. And, uh, and then, so this has been a big year for her. And she is, uh, she's exciting. I'm excited to have it, uh, get lucky every now and then. Yeah. Yeah. So. That's so, so that early, early development, like when you're, you're saying at seven months, you saw things, I mean, do you think when you see that early development, obviously that's a positive thing, but yeah. like raising the dogs that you've raised, is that a, like I'm wondering how how big of a deal it is if a dog develops early. You're obviously anticipating that development curve to be accelerated and and continue up. Do you feel like it kind of evens out, or like do some dogs they develop later but they still reach that same level, or does the early development really sort of increase the potential for the dog? If that makes sense, it makes a ton of sense. That's a good question. So here's what I'm always looking for in those youngsters. The really special ones, they can't hide it from you. There's no lay bloomer in the, what I'm looking at here. Okay. So here's the two things that I'm always scanning for. 
an abnormally high ability to find birds with almost no experience. Mm -hmm. There's some magic stuff in that dog that just somehow they're genetically wired to know how to go find birds. When they're that young, they can't be doing that from experiences in the past because they haven't had a past yet in hunting birds. Okay. And number two, I'm looking for the ability to close the deal when they find them. Mm -hmm. And that's handle, uh, good percentage of their opportunities get them pointed that's another innate ability that a dog has now both of those traits you are correct will come on with time and experience a little more maturity a little more training but when i got a youngster and those two things are like flashing neon signs at me Mm. i can teach everything else that dog ain't going anywhere yeah yeah And, and she she has done nothing but prove that i mean i gotta think long and hard to think of a birdless run with that young dog i gotta think long and hard yeah and this season last year like i said she was very young i killed some quail over in the winter um this season not only can i not think of a birdless run there were empty shotgun shells in your pouch at the end of most of them yeah yeah so there's the ability to close the deal and handle birds in a fashion that provides opportunity for the gunner and uh that's the magic in these dogs and now if you don't have that welcome to the club a lot of my other ones don't have right. that when they're right. young, yeah. you know it's just that's not the norm and that's what i'm looking for in a stand-up to me that's that's a breeder i will breed this dog yeah this is a dog that shouldn't be bred so so she's super excited now you just finger, fingers crossed that nothing goofy happens um in terms of injury or illness or some you know weird thing so yeah she's she's got me pretty excited and then you know the rest of them in the lineup are are you know i have a a very nice four-year-old a very nice five-year-old and a seven-year-old and the last week i i i thought you know i really you guys have kind of gotten the short end of the stick lately because i do get so hyper focused on the young one (laughs) and like hey i can't forget about i you guys are in your prime yeah and that's really what I did last week. And what a treat, you know, it reminds you what it, all that front end work is for. Yeah. And, and watching that five-year-old dog, you hardly say boo to him, dissect the woods, handle forward like a dream and just boom, pointing, pointing grouse in November and, and walking in there and there's your bird. Right. Yep. That's what you get at four or five and six, mm-hmm. you know, Yeah. that's what makes it all the miles pay off. Yeah. Oh man, I love it. That, that's a that's a more uh, that's a better answer than I was expecting. Although I I never doubted you, Justin. But that was <laughs> well, thanks. <laughs> yeah, that was that was good stuff. I, I that's cool to hear you talk about the uh, the ages of the dogs. I'm I'm in a similar situation where I've got Hartley. He's eight, and he was my first bird dog, which everybody knows that. And and then Rose, she turned two in May, and same deal. Rose came on really fast, developed quickly and you know i'm all you know you're excited it's a, it's a new dog and she's doing really great i could not be happier with her and to a certain extent i you know sometimes i focus on her and hartley had the injury and so he's not as mobile right now and i really try to limit his time but it's always whenever i cut hartley loose it's just it's so cool to see that eight-year-old dog go out there and just put that all that experience to work you, you know he doesn't cover the ground that he once did or not nearly as much ground as Rose does, but he just like, 
he takes advantage of the opportunities and the birds that we come into contact with. And it was a good year for that. So it's, it's just fun to see that. It is. And the sad part of this wonderful sport is much like October that comes and goes too fast Mm -hmm. that window. Yeah. It's like, Oh man, you know, but such it is as how it is exactly yeah we keep we keep doing it and and obviously the dogs the dogs are happy to do it as long as they're able yeah all right well i i could obviously ask you questions all day and i'm sure i'll mix in some more here but let's let's jump into listener q a i'd I'd put out a request for the last month or so on the podcast and we got a bunch of questions so we're gonna we're gonna work our way through these and thanks everybody that submitted questions we certainly appreciate it there's some good ones here and I know from listening to many podcast episodes with with Justin on on Ronnie's show, we're gonna we're gonna learn something today. That's for sure. Well, and I always learn something too. I really come to enjoy these. You know, yeah. it's, it's very beneficial for me as well when you're explaining and teaching. Yeah, and and to you know get this kind of feedback of hey, here's what's going on. You know, right? It's always interesting stuff. Yep. Excellent. All right. Well, John's going to lead us off here. So this question is the idea that a dog hunts for its owner hunter is commonly discussed. What are the elements that drive that behavior in the dog? If an older dog tends to hunt for itself, how do you approach reeling that in? That's question. That's question one for John. All right. So, you know, my opinion is foundation for that is laid when they're puppies by taking them for those nature walks as puppies this is something enjoyable that you do together you are taking advantage of that you know 12 to 20 week old age window where they're very dependent on us this is something that we do together that is fun and and so you're 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 imprinting that puppy that this is not something you go off and do on your own this is something we do together yeah the more of those little nature walks with your pups you do, the stronger that field bond. And I will occasionally see dogs brought to me, and I always like to do an evaluation before we come up with any sort of a training plan. I got to see where are we at. And I do, more often than you would ever think, get eight, nine, ten-month-old dogs. And they say, well, you've been taking them for runs? No. Well, we walk them on a leash. I said, well, what about, you know, anywhere you go running? No, why not? We're afraid he's going to take off. There isn't a 12-week-old on the planet that's going to run away. If there is, there's something wrong in the head with that puppy. And, and so don't let that window come and go for fear that your dog's going to take off on you. The dog that might take off, that never had that freedom to explore the world, until he's now big and fast and strong and you do not have that established field bond right yep so don't let that first window go without doing that and when they're little like that you know i hear so much of i don't have i can't sentences that start with those two things when it comes to how did this happen how did you get to this age i've done that you don't need a hundred acres with a four month old puppy. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't need a ton of room. And so you just got to find somewhere. Safety is the number one priority. Proximity to roads, number one danger. Okay. Yep. Um, so, but with just some effort, you got to be able to find somewhere you can do that. And people underestimate the value in that time spent. 
I also hear, well, there's no Bert. Doesn't matter at first. He's going to be so consumed with deer droppings and this smell and this type of grass and this and that. That is one of the most important first steps for getting that dog cemented in that we are a unified team when we do this. And um, the uh, what was the other part about um, I, I will, for itself? Yeah, yeah. If an older dog tends to hunt for itself, how do you approach reeling that in? Yeah. So the 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 best tool to help that is you got to teach the dog to change direction. You've got to build in a turn. You got the ability to bend that long straight line cast. Because a dog that goes hunting for himself, that always originates with a too far for you long straight line cast. Mm, So until you can turn that, you're powerless. And a really bad handling habit, everybody thinks they need better recall, better recall. That's going to fix everything. No, no, no. I mean, not, I'm not making light of the importance of solid recall, but for this instance, recall should mean stop what you're doing, come all the way into the parking. Okay. So for the purposes of modifying a dog's hunting range and pattern, recall is no good. We got a yo-yo out, all the way back in, out, all the way back in. And if he's going hunt for himself, you got to be able to turn him before you can do anything else to modify that hunting style. The other thing you do with a dog like that is once you establish that and you can turn it and he goes for another one this way, you can turn it. You want to do all this in open ground first. As soon as I got him going with me and responding, I make sure he finds birds doing that. Mm. Now it makes sense to him too. Aha. Yep. Uh-huh. Yeah. All right. They're always trying to approach it from different angles. Yes, you're turning because I tell you you have to, but look what good happens when you do. Exactly. Yep. Yep. Gearing up for your next hunt? Check out Ugly Dog Hunting Company for all your dog supply needs. Ugly Dog Hunting carries a full line of products for your bird dog and even some for you. Whether you're looking for dog collars, GPS tracking devices, kennels, beds, leads, training equipment, or first aid supplies, Ugly Dog Hunting carries it and a whole lot more. New owner of the company and friend of the Bird Shop podcast, Mike Nadusky, loves to remind me that while I do hunt with pretty dogs, every dog can be an ugly dog. Check out the entire selection of gear for you and your bird dog at UglyDogHunting.com. For many upland hunters, along with their passion for dogs, birds, and the places we chase them, comes a passion for shotguns. Upland Gun Company specializes in customizing shotguns for the upland bird hunter imported from Italy and shipped direct to an FFL near you. Select from one of their side-by-side or over-under shotgun platforms and customize the fit, function, and aesthetics to your liking. Design and build your next upland hunting shotgun with Upland Gun Company today. Visit UplandGunCompany.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, that's a, that is such a good point about the, the early stage puppy thing. And I, I can relate to those new puppy owners, like being, it's almost counterintuitive, right? Like you get a brand new dog and God forbid it's your first bird dog. You're like, the last thing you want the thing to do is run off, but you're not really thinking like 
that little tiny puppy, like you're saying, you know, an eight, 10, 12 week old puppy, they're so, they're just not as physically mobile. They're, and they're so in tune with you. That is the perfect time to get them out to like, I cross country ski trails for me, you know, it's, it's in, in the, in the off season, they're just nice, basically groomed trails in the woods. And I think getting in the woods, like I kind of learned this with my two and now I would, I would always do it as just those off leash puppy walks in the woods if you can with a trail where the pup can move like i think that has really helped both of my dogs and then when they are four five six months old and are a lot more physically capable you've already kind of established that that connection so that's a that's a great thing to bring up i think for folks and it's easy work and it's fun work. yes yep you know yeah, indeed. All right. So John's second question was in the Upland Institute course, there is no timeline to when certain training should occur. That fits with everything Justin's ever said about dog being ready when they're ready. That said, choose an average dog that you have as a puppy till it's finished. What is a typical timeline? Can you comment on that at all? Or is it really, it depends? Well, it does, yeah. but you know, he asked a fair enough question. Yeah. And, and the reason I don't like to put calendar age benchmarks and a dog's development and training is because there's too much variable, you know, life experience from dog to dog and owner to owner. We have a 12 month old dog that's clocked 30 days of hunting. We cannot expect the same as a 12 month old dog that's been out three times. And both of those can and do happen depending on a person's location and the structure of their life, you know, and not that they're not trying. That's just what life allows for some folks. So I don't want that guy thinking less of his dog. He may have an equally as talented dog and maybe even better, but it's not going to be where that other one is because he hasn't clocked the hours yet. So I hate, you know, calendar age benchmarks. So that being said, okay, we, we just talked about puppy walks. Well, once that dog is confident there, regardless of whether that's four months, five months, six months, whatever, um, introduction to birds is always right there because I want to create that sense of purpose to these walks now. We are not really just out here for a nature walk. We have been up till now, but now I'm going to put you in an environment that you're going to learn really why we're doing that wake up those instincts introduction of birds create that sense of purpose using their nose recognizing likely cover to hold birds and hopefully also at that same time you're waking up that pointing instinct i'm also thinking of introduction to the gun mm. and with most pups we're still in that window where we're riding that natural cooperation if we've done our job and we got the right individual we're not having any handling issues yet however many dogs as the bird contacts accumulate, we're dumping a little gas on the fire, depending on their age. (laughs) So when the invisible rubber band that has connected us growing up begins to get strained and feel like it's just going to snap, this dog is not swinging with me so well anymore. Now I have a dog that is ripe and ready to put a handle on. Now, I don't let him start going three, 400 yards at such a young age and, and who knows what's going on over yeah, there. Right. Um, we're going to cement in this. No, you're going with me. This is something we still do together. Focus will shift to handling. So now perhaps we're to answer this guy's question. We may be in the nine to 14 month range. Okay. 
I'm going to get the handle on that dog because first season, my job really is to try and provide the dog with quality bird contacts and learn where these birds want to live. In order for me to effectively do that, I need a dog that's going with me in a forward fashion so I can pilot him to these places that we know are could contain birds, yep. right? Um, that is part of our job. We need to bring them to the right place. You can have them all the talent in the world riding around the back of your truck. You keep taking them places. There's no birds. They're not going to progress in those areas. And then whenever that season arrives, I got a handle on the dog. We're shooting over them. They're hunting for and finding and hopefully establishing some point, you know, um, I'm going to hunt them and I'll put a season of experience on them. Okay, so we're in that a little over a year now, and I'm going to, I've started some puppy woe training. I'm going to finish their woe work and get them truly woe broke. They've got a full season under their belt. And now I'm going to work towards some steadiness. Not necessarily all the way finish, finish steadiness, but hey, when you're pointing birds and you got them, there's no moving. I come to you and I put them up, right? Get that done. Get them prepped for season two. That's where there's going to be a difference. How far I take that steadiness prior to season two is going to depend on exactly where are we at on the age of this dog and how much hunting did they get? That's all going to be contingent on what we're able to give them and what month they were born on the calendar. And most dogs, some of them I'll finish out on steadiness right before their second season. It's always going to slip a little bit. I'm picking away at it through the season. A lot of dogs, I will finish their steadiness on the job over that second season as I, got, as I hunt them. Yeah. I feel that's the best way to do it. If it's not in the cards for that individual, I don't press for it. Mm. And that's, that's the next project the next spring, right? Okay, this dog is now definitely ready to finish his steadiness work, his formal steadiness training. So now we're at two, roughly, yep. hopefully. Yep, a little over. By then, two seasons... We should have shot enough birds to have a feel for where our genetic retrieving capabilities are. Mm. And if we are dissatisfied or overly deficient in that area, or you are an owner who is going to not be happy, if it's going to drive you nuts and don't have a polished retrieve, um, okay, we've got everything else done. We're going to work on the cherry on top and work on some retrieving stuff. That will take you to two and a half, maybe three. Pick away at that between season two and season three. By three years old, if you're not essentially done and become a chauffeur to take this dog hunting, something maybe hasn't gone right. Yeah. So I always look at it from a three-year perspective. By a dog's third birthday, I know what where I should have them if everything has gone well. So I hope that gives him a little bit of... Um, little bit of a grip on a general timeline yeah yeah no i think that i think i was addressed very well and that's i f- feel like you can kind of sort of piece that together you know you it helps to mention the hunting seasons and that and then the calendar birthdays you know you might you might have a puppy season in there too you know like a like a three four five six month season and then you've got then you've got the dogs one and then two and then three and yeah i think that lays out pretty nicely yeah i always i had a long time customer by a uh, we'll use the quotes, air quotes, uh, finish 14 month old from a part of the country that I knew it's not possible mm. time of year and the age of the dog, yeah. you know, now well, the dog had been, had some obedience and 
knew a little pigeon stuff in the field next to there. But when you took that dog hunting, he's just learning that. And this is a dog that has a lot of potential, I feel, right? But don't get, you know, I hate to come down on social media, but there's a lot of garbage fed to new dog owners there about my 10-month-old is already this. Let's go hunt for a week, and we'll see what he really gets, mm-hmm. right? Yep. And and let me see all those videos that you deleted and not the one you're showing everybody. Right. And we'll see what he really is, you know? So just use your filter. Don't compare your dog to other people's because it really doesn't matter. Just stay focused on your dog. Right. Yep. That's that's the takeaway there. And, and again, like what you're saying, like regardless of the intent of some things you see online or whatever, it's just like it's almost – it's information overload. You got too many data points. So like you said, use your filter. Like it's, and I think what's important too, in what you said is that it isn't a race to check all these boxes. It's there, there's some things that it, like it goes hand in hand with ha- having the dog develop its own natural ability by being in the woods and on, on birds. So like you need a good, you need a good healthy dose of that to go along with the training side of things, which again, it's, it's not a race to get through everything. It's, it's exactly what you always say, Justin. I mean, the dog's ready when it's ready and it's a combination of things going on. Yeah, that's a fact. Um, and just keep the betterment of your dog one step at a time at the forefront of your mind. Cool. All right. Well, this is kind of a nice segue. I didn't do this on purpose, but next question is from Cliff. Question for Justin, is a four-year-old too late to force fetch? This setter is fairly sensitive and very smart. I'm concerned it could cause blinking. Four years old is absolutely not too old. Um, In fact, I feel it's quite likely to go better than it would with a younger dog. Because hopefully by four, this dog has had this training, is performing at a good level for the guy, and has had time to apply that training to real hunting, digest all of those life experiences, connect all those dots, and now this is the one thing at four. And four is not too old, and he's aware he's got a sensitive type dog. Um, So, slow and steady wins that race in the world of the trained retrieve. You cannot come across to that dog you got to make it fun for him the biggest challenge with dogs like that if you do too much too fast or have any negative episode in training sometimes dogs like that you'll see their attitude towards working with you on that go completely down the drain and you can't allow that to happen if you do you got to take a break sweeten them back up somehow and come back around to it i've done plenty of dogs like that in my life and it's going to take some time it can be done, but you got to make doing some of those things. Yes, we want to instill this is something you have to do, but there's parts of that process. You got to kind of make it seem like it was their idea to do it like that. Hmm. At four, he should know this dog inside out and what makes it operate. So play on that dog's strengths. Don't take that approach. Okay, you got to do this or else. Also, I should say, you know, it is not in the cards for a hundred percent of dogs to achieve that. Mm. It is not a hundred percent. If you were to grab dog after dog, after dog, after dog, you're going to hit a dog that you're going to have a point that it's like, man, is this really worth doing with this dog? Can't maybe, okay. He's going to learn how to hunt dead really well. You're going to recover your birds that way. I got news for you. There's lots of guys out there successfully hunting with that animal. Yeah that is not a strong retriever. It's not bringing them back and putting them in your hand. 
but they're not losing birds or, or they're not losing birds at a alarming ratio. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And you can put, I mean, you can put me, me fairly in that camp. Like my setters sure. do not retrieved a hand. I've never, I've never yeah. forced the issue. I'm, I'm comfortable with their abilities to hunt dead and, and search for birds. And we've worked, that's something that we work on when we're hunting. Yeah. I would, I would never claim that they're the best and are not going to lose a bird. It, it happens. It's part of bird hunting, but it's, mm-hmm. it doesn't stop me from hunting. No. And, and, and that's a, there's a big segment of the bird hunting population, dog owners that is in that crowd. They realize the importance of recovering wild game. We do our best with what we have to work with and try and maximize those dogs ability for hunting dead and our skill at being able to help the dog become good at that. Yeah. You know, you are a big component at recovering a bird. It isn't all on your dog. You got to, yeah. you got to know how to help him and set him up to do this. And in, and in my case, in, in the case of others like me, you've got to be better, right? You, if your, if your dogs aren't the, the most reliable retrievers and, uh, you know, anything you can do to help them, obviously it's, it's, it's out of respect for the birds ultimately, but it is. And, you know, number one, none of us are perfect at this, right. but try and shoot them dead. Become a, as good a shot as you can. Mm-hmm. Pick your shots wisely. Do not take marginal opportunity and use a good shell. That's a big one there. Yeah. I don't care what kind of gun you shoot, put a good load in it. Yeah. 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 That's good advice. Um, Cliff used a term that I think is sometimes loosely defined. Ah, yeah. So we should talk about that. He said blinking. Yeah. And okay. Whether how it relates to this question, we can get it. But how do you what? How do you describe slash define blinking? Yeah, I'm I'm glad you brought that back around because I hear that term thrown around incorrectly mm-hmm. a fair amount. A fair amount. Okay. So the true definition of blinking is intentional avoidance of something. Fill in the blank by a dog for fear that he's going to get in trouble. Or because of a negative association with that event in the past. So you hear it the most with pointing birds, right? Yep. That, that dog blinked those birds. Okay. So that dog smelled them, knows there's birds there, chose to just remove himself from that situation. There could be a lot of reasons how the dog is somebody to, no dog is born like that. No well-bred bird dog is born like that. That's a man-made flaw. Somebody did something that came across wrong to that dog, and that dog goes, well, if I don't acknowledge that bird, I'm safe. Mm-hmm. I'm cool, right? But I've seen dogs blink honoring opportunities. Why? Because they weren't strong natural backers, and somebody came down on a hard. Mm. What did they learn? I don't want to go anywhere around another dog that's pointing because bad things happen. You, your your message was not delivered efficiently, yeah. right? That got me in trouble. Okay, so we're going to come back to the trained retreat. There is nothing on the front end of that that a dog connects in any way to hunting for and finding and pointing birds. This is all pure obedience with non-bird objects. The whole front end of this is indoors a lot. There's nothing that he's connecting to that. You're, you're bringing it towards that, but a teeny tiny bit at a time. And then when you do come to birds, you're going back through all that non-bird object work and you're introducing cold dead birds. We're still not finding a point in live birds. So for you to make a mistake that would uh, cause something negative with a dog's pointing, you would have to completely lose your temper at the final steps. 
Yeah. Right. Yeah. You should have every, all your ducks in a row by the time you're to that step where you could cause a dog to quote unquote blink is just, yeah, he's going to want me to pick that up. And uh, somewhere in my memory is a bad memory of negative association with something on the ground that he wants me to pick up. So if you really, really messed up, that's the worst case scenario. He's not really going to, maybe you have hurt his hunting death, right? Right. He's not going to put, he's not going to have his heart in it because something bad happened to him when he was looking for something on the ground before. So that would be the window to make sure your foundation work in the train retrieve is rock solid. The dog is doing it and doing it eagerly, happily, and there's no, you're not pushing it at the window. Yeah. Yeah. Good stuff. And, and, and maybe the uh, takeaway for me there, I guess, is, is the importance of if, if a moment or a, a training scenario or something, you, you reach that point where your patience is, is dwindling and or gone, walk away, right? Like walk away be, before the, before the bad next step occurs. Yeah. You have to, you have to be in control of your emotions when you're doing any dog, when anytime you're around your dog, yeah. you need to be so stable and cause dogs trust stable people. Okay. They do. You earn their trust by being consistently stable. Mm. They know what to expect from you. A guy that's flying off the handle randomly, what a dog doesn't understand, what what's going on, there's a little mistrust there between dog and human when you're like that with a dog. So always be aware of that. Be in control of your emotions. If it didn't go well, find a way to end well, smooth. It's okay. Yeah. Tell them how much you, you still love. We still love you. We <laughs> still love you. You're my buddy. All right. Thanks for hanging out with me. And then you can go into your garage and get mad if you want at yeah. yourself. Because yeah. usually that's who you should be assigning. Right. To. Right. It didn't go well. Yeah. Right. It's not your dog's just being your dog. He's yeah. just your dog. And, and you go, okay, what am I doing here? that is not coming through to my dog. What, what, where is the glitch in this communication? Hmm. Always go backwards. Don't try and push through that when you feel it. Always back up. What are the components that are missing here for my dog to understand what I'm trying to teach him? Break it down into those smallest components, teach them individually, link them together. It's dog training 101. Excellent. Good stuff, Justin. All right. Next question from Mike. I have a two-year-old male setter that I continue to work with on birds. From the first time introducing him to birds, he has aggressively gone after them versus trying to point. I put him through the same training plan that my other dogs have gone through and never seen this issue. He's been exposed to probably over 500 birds, both released and wild, thinking that with enough exposure, things would click and he would get out of this habit. I do not shoot any birds that he busts. I took him to Michigan in September to see how he would do on Woodcock, and I got to watch bird after bird trying to escape his jaws. He has good genetics, and his brother I also have is a rock star. I'm at a loss what to do. He holds on woe in yard training, and when just running in the open field, put a bird in the situation, and he goes crazy. Mm-hmm. If he hadn't told me it was a setter, I might have guessed it. <laughs> honestly and here's why i say that and i, I love setters I yeah, yeah yeah several and i'm a setter guy right so i don't know what it is i can't explain it breeding setters is an art form and the best setter breeders in the world 
I cannot say that you can eliminate the possibility of having that dog a litter of English setters. And I don't have an explanation for it. No kidding. I, I have known so many litters of setters that mom and dad, you bet you breed those two dogs, right? They are the real deal. And let's just say for the sake of example, they have seven puppies. And you get two rock stars, rock stars. And then you get three solid dogs. Nothing wrong with those dogs. Those are good, solid bird dogs. And then the other two, you might go, what happened? Hmm. What, what, where did this come from? You know, and I don't see pointers, breeders able to produce a consistent type of dog and, and short hairs and labs. And I don't know if it's a setter thing and... It, it, I have seen exactly what this guy's experience is. I've seen it. There's no rational explanation for it based on his parents. Or in this case, he's not hearing stories from an owner of a litter mate. He also owns it. Right. So we have the same man who has brought these two dogs up in the same fashion. He said he has other dogs that he successfully piloted to good bird dogs. Okay. What happened here? He used one word that I think hits the nail on the head, and that is it's a habit, okay? And that's exactly what it is after 500 birds. Flushing birds has become this dog's cigarettes. Mm, he can't was. quit, okay? It's fun for him. And he mentioned, you know, he started down the right path. You got to get that dog woe broke, okay? So he's good in the yard. He's good in the field with no birds. But when you bring a bird into the picture, the dog goes bonkers, seen that there are some dogs that are wired it's like they have this game lust that just exceeds by a lot what pointing instinct he inherited mm. right yeah so the desire to capture games overriding this dog's pointing instinct he's having fun he's not giving it up 500 birds he ought to figure it out this ain't working okay so it's a tough one it really is. Um, there's part of me that the practical guy in me says, place the dog in a non-hunting pet home and life goes on. Mm -hmm. Don't try and swim against the current of that river. Okay. That's the smart play. Instead of trying to fight this fight, especially when you got a litter mate, it's like, yep. Here we go. Right. Um, so it's not his only dog. <laughs> and some people emotionally have a difficult time doing that. They feel they failed their dog. Yeah. Some way. You haven't failed your dog, and I get it. It's emotional or everything. If he is to entertain the notion of trying to bring this dog around, he's got to get that woe training strengthened to the point that he can anchor that dog in the presence of flying birds. That's mandatory if this dog has a prayer. Cementing in rock solid, stop the flush work. Whether the bird lifts on its own accord as the dog gets near or that dog willfully flushes him, the ability to anchor him right now and take away that fun of a chase has turned that corner for more dogs than I have. If I used all my friends' fingers and toes, I don't, <laughs> that's not enough, okay? Yep, yep. That will straighten out a dog's bird work better than anything else that's not wanting to point him because now there's nothing in it for the dog flushing him. There's nothing in it. And sometimes that gives that lurking pointing instinct that's been suppressed with this bad habit a chance to come out. Sometimes. Chance to breathe, yeah. Mm-hmm. So he, he's got to make that first decision. You know, it, it, is this a path I want to try and take this dog down? 
so once he makes that decision, if he goes for it, that's the best, whatever it takes and start with birds in where your yard work is solid, right? Yep. You start right there. You got to proof your woe training to the presence of flying birds. Get some pigeons, go to the yard work, get it there first. Woe means woe, even when there's a bird in the air, which for dogs like this is a lot. You know, sometimes dogs that profile like this, they're also the ones that try and eat porcupines and mm. chase deer. And I mean, they just have that crazy lust for game. And that's, that's tough to, to break through. If that's deeply rooted, you know, it could be some from some great, great uncle. And this poor dog is the one who caught that right in his makeup, you know? So two is still young enough to justify giving it a try. You know, if this dog was four or five, I'd say, you know, save your efforts for a clean slate. Yeah. But I feel it's still young enough. And he's put that dog on 500 birds by two. This dog has got the resources. Okay. I mean, he lives somewhere pretty good. Yeah. So springtime, start with that, you know, foundation, yard work, proofing it to birds and just one little baby step at a time. But you got to be able to control the dog in the presence of game if that pointing it is going to have a chance to come to the surface. Well, if nothing else, if Mike's got any hair left, he can stop pulling it out because he's not crazy, Justin. Exactly. No, <laughs> you've you've seen the guy. same thing. <laughs> and, and, and there's nobody on this planet that can spot that at eight weeks old. Right. You can't, can't be done. It's just, you know, I always tell people, put your faith in mom and dad and close your eyes and grab them. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I truly believe everybody has the equal opportunity to get the superstar and we all have the same odds of getting that. And there might only be one in three litters right. like that or 10 litters. Right. But they do, those dogs do exist. Breeding bird dogs is not a fixed science, yeah. you know? And unfortunately, if you or I went out next week and bought a pickup truck and there was something wrong with the engine. Okay. We could turn around and drive it back and they go, we can fix that. Mm-hmm. Right? Not always the case with an animal. And that's, we're not programming a robot. This is an animal we're trying to work with here. So you got to know when you're fighting a losing battle. And I always give it your best, man. Give it your best. But you got to understand when to relieve yourself of the responsibility and and not shoulder the blame for why this dog is the way this is. This isn't your fault. Right. He hasn't done anything wrong. He's proved that with the litter mate. He's proved it with his past dogs. It's the dog. And that, that sometimes that happens and that's nobody's fault. It's not the breeder's fault. It's not the dog's fault. It's not his fault. Yep. Very well said. Were I asking that question, I would consider that a very helpful answer. So well done. Uh, all right. Next one from Jack. Uh, question for Justin. I've got a two-year-old short hair who is an amazing natural retriever. He'll fetch bumpers, dummies, sticks, beer cans, you name it, but he won't retrieve dead birds. What do you recommend I do during the season to work on this? Should I just let him hunt this year without the pressure and wait until the off season? Isn't this the pits? I've seen this. <laughs> he's, he's probably just, yeah, I, I, I hear him loud and clear. Jack, I hear you. I've seen it. And, so this dog has demonstrated that, you know, the genetic inclination to retrieve is there. It has been inherited from its ancestors. Right. The dog retrieves everything under the sun except shot birds. When I've seen it, the only explanation is initially it's because it's such a foreign object. Okay. And 
I never worry about it initially. That whole first season, in fact, just keep hunting, keep shooting birds. And all of a sudden, that newness just kind of gradually goes away. It becomes another dead bird. Okay. And sometimes that retrieving just starts to come out. And he begins packing birds around, sometimes just a little short distance at first, a little further, a little further. You know, by two and a half years old, look, he's retrieving now, just like he does the, the beer cans and the sticks. <laughs> the retrieving guns. <laughs> That can and does happen. Um, so give it ample opportunity uh, to come out and, and develop. You know, if you think about those other objects and think about a fresh shot bird, uh, it's a very different object. It has a very different feel and smell in their mouth. And sometimes that just takes some getting used to for dogs. If we get to that point where we're at a young adult dog and he's had a lot of birds shot over him. And one thing I should point out, when I say a lot of birds shot over him, I don't mean a ton of birds in six weeks or eight weeks. Mm. I mean over a broader window, an age window. So, you know, I feel like killing 50 birds in a week over a dog, you're still in that exact same age window. The sure. dog is likely to do the same thing with every single one of those. Now, when you spread those dead birds out over a wider age window, you're giving the dog a chance to come along and develop over a longer timeline. Today, a dog is very likely to do exactly what he did yesterday. <laughs> so regardless of how many birds you shot, right? sometimes, uh, you know, switches flip. I, it does happen, but don't bank on that. Yeah, that's now, like the, the training thing where, you know, 10 minutes a day is is for a week is way better than, you know, seven hours in one day kind of thing. Yeah. And the guys who are utilizing release bird clubs, once their wild bird opportunities are over to extend their dog's experience, as long as the cover's decent, the birds are flying good. I got no qualms with that yeah. to give your dog a little more field time and bird contact. I, I, I coach dog owners all the time when they're in that situation, five birds per hunt every other week is better than 20 on saturday morning there you go yep for the dog's development for sure no doubt about it space out those hunts just keep going a lot if you do get to the point where this ain't happening i have seen dogs that have a personal aversion to the feel of feathers in their mouth or that warm limp carcass of yep. a dead bird they don't like how that feels in their mouth they just don't like it Really, your only attempt at, at bringing that dog along is a thorough course in the trained retrieve, which for a dog like this should go pretty smooth because you got a lot of natural going for you. Mm -hmm. Now, before you start sticking birds in that dog's mouth, you need to treat him like he doesn't retrieve. This needs to be a learned command. This is not playing on the trained retrieve does not play on the natural, although the natural is going to help you. Um, you still need to treat him like you have a zero retrieving instinct. Hold first non-bird objects hold and carry you bring him through all the steps right? you don't you don't move ahead 10 spaces because he's shown natural ability right yeah so once we have hold and hold and carry established as a command it'll pick up objects on a command or everything and that's all looking good and and resist with dogs like this resist the temptation to go back to that natural play retreat right this is obedience you can and people do you know like um assistance dogs for handicap that will go get remotes or pick up your keys if you drop them or do doors and stuff those dogs all go through a version of, of the trained retrieve you know they teach them you pick those keys up 
you pick that remote up, you pick this, you do this and that. So it can be taught to any dog that's got the right mind set to learn these things. And, and, and bring, so don't skip any steps, even though we know, hey, if I throw this non-bird thing, he's going to go get it. That's sparking natural genetic inclination. We want to stay on this as an obedience command. That means you pick that up, right? Regardless, and then the birds come in at the very end. The hope there is with your foundation training in place, you can desensitize the dog. The feathers aren't bad. It's just another thing for you to carry, bud. All right, you can do this. And a little bit at a time, you inch them towards retrieving birds. But it's very frustrating. And that question sparked a memory of a question I got on one of Ron's Q&A podcast, mm. which was, my dog does a great job at retrieving birds when we hunt. But when I try and play fetch with him in the backyard, he won't pick up a single thing. It's the exact opposite. Yep. This guy's dog, right? Yep. And I probably had some smart aleck answer, like, you don't have a problem. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> you know, unless you're trying to show off to your neighbor yep. in the backyard, you don't have a problem. Your dog is getting it done in the field where, where, it, mean, where it should mean the most to you. Right. So I see it go the other way, too. But that's what I would advise. Did he say how old? Um, how many seasons? Or? I think he did. Yeah. Two-year-old short hair. Two-year-old okay. short hair. Okay. Yeah. So it's going to come down to just how many dead bird encounters, you know, situations have occurred in there. He's getting close to where I think he's probably, provided the dog has had average hunting seasons and bird shot over him, you know, maybe finish this year out with whatever opportunities he can kill birds over him. Assess if he, if he's not seeing even an inch of progress towards that, then he's probably going to be looking at the train retrieve. Yep. Got it. And a short hair with that other inclination to retrieve mm -hmm. that uh, of average, you know, temperament and, and attitude towards working. Um, that dog should go pretty smooth. That should, I, I would, I wouldn't hesitate to tackle that job if I was that guy. Yeah. Yeah. Funny when you met, when I was reading his question, I was thinking the same thing. Cause my Rose, my two-year-old setter, she's kind of the, the dog you described of the opposite where, she'll pretty reliably pick up, go and grab every like dead grouse I shoot for her. But if I'm in the backyard and I throw a ball, like she might half-heartedly chase it, but she's more likely to just look at me and be like, are you going to go get that or what? <laughs> like she, she could care less yeah. <laughs> anything in the backyard. Yeah. All right, that's it for part one with Justin and this week's episode. A quick reminder, we will be back next week with part two of my conversation with Justin and a full-on segment of in-depth Q&A. So stay tuned for that. Until then, have a happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Go chase some birds, and we'll talk to you next week. Onyx Hunt is the number one hunting GPS app. Join millions of other hunters who trust Onyx Hunt to find more game, discover new access, and hunt smarter. Onyx Hunt shows you nationwide public and private land boundaries. They've got topographic and 3D maps. You can track your route, location, and elevation profile. You can save maps for offline use and take Onyx Hunt with you wherever you go. The most comprehensive hunting tool you'll own Download the Onyx Hunt app today and use the promo code BSP20 to save 20% on your next Onyx Hunt subscription. Know where you stand with Onyx.
Hey everyone, this is Nick from the Gundog It Yourself podcast. If you enjoyed this show, then you might want to check out my show as well. We highlight and break down the ins and outs of training your own hunting dog. Whether it's a bird dog or even the occasional hound dog episode, we cover all topics related to hunting dogs. Check out Gundog It Yourself on any podcast streaming platform and hit the subscribe button to be sure not to miss any future episodes.